be here. I love this place, just this actual environment, like this this building for me. And just as I'm going to say this, but when I became when I became a Christian, when I began to follow Jesus, 2009, some of my earliest and most precious encounters with the Lord, with His presence and with His love, was in this room. Uh, when dwell was a thing, when when rain, it was this like soaking nights before Saturday nights here were a thing. And I just I just began to meet with the Lord in, in times of, uh, of of extended just like no agenda here in this building. So it's always a treat to be back again. My name is is Jimmy, along with my wife. Uh, we serve as the pastors over first service on Sunday mornings at New Day Nichols up on the north side. Uh, so my role tonight is to actually introduce to you the theme for the whole year of 2019 at all of the New Day campuses. Now, Alan Smith, I listened back to, to his message last week. He actually did a phenomenal job covering some of what I was going to say, but it doesn't matter because it's, there's enough. if we're going to take a whole year on it, I believe there's plenty to say uh, in, this, in this regard. So... We have this phrase, uh, grace and truth, uh, and what I'm calling tonight is grace and truth paradox. Right? Sometimes we can think of the way that, that those words are used in our culture, in, in conversation, is that grace is, is, this, is this one thing. You're either gracious or, or, you're, or you're truth-telling, and you're not really both. But what we see in Jesus is actually 100% both, and so we want to look at that. But before we dig into that phrase... I want to, uh, to actually begin with this interesting and fascinating research that was just, just came out, like maybe October of 2018. So every, every few years, like some big research firm in the country comes out with this typology of, of the American kind of demographic. Like, what, where do people fit? Like, what types of people are there in our, in our culture? And how, we, how, how can we kind of name them and describe them. And usually there's a lot of tens of thousands, maybe 10,000 or so interviews collected and such. So anyways, I came across this, this research done by this group called More in Common, and it's called The Hidden Tribes of America. Catchy, right? The hidden, ooh, do I know about these tribes? Whatever, this, the, the idea of tribalism, like people are, are always going into their groups and kind of throwing grenades back and forth and you know, who's, who's winning the, the culture where I'm going to dig in my heels here and I'm going to dig in my heels here. And, and so, oftentimes, I think, the, the, the dynamic that we're presented with in our, in our culture is this. Like, this is the dynamic that we, we can feel. This is the dynamic that we can, that we, that we, that's presented in the media. This is the dynamic that, that like... That we're, if we're not like aware and dig a little deeper, and I think this is what we, we see and we feel. Um, but I think the reality that this research kind of points to, however fascinating, and you have to dig into it, and there's a whole bunch there, but the reality that, that they come up with is actually that it's, the majority of people are more like this. The majority of people are more like, what is going on? Like we have this illusion that there's a 50-50, like, boom, boom, knockout, drag-out fight. But really, it's actually funny. Well, it's not funny. Uh, I don't know what to call it. There was a, an article in the, in the New York Times, which is by no means unbiased. But they, they have, it was called the Rich White Civil War. 
and it was actually an interpretation of this research. It was saying, really, what's happening is that there's these fringe groups on either side of this of this spectrum, and they're wealthy, and they tend to be white, and they tend to be uh, really heavy into social media, and they're actually the ones throwing these grenades back and forth over this mass middle that's putting their hand in their head like, what are we in the middle of? Like, what's going on? But the illusion is that we don't, it feels like we have to choose. It feels like I need to be either here, and it's us versus them, or I need to be here, and it's us versus them. And so the, reason I, the whole reason I bring this up is because they call this group in the middle the exhausted majority. The exhausted majority, right? This, these are the tribes that they name. Some of us, you, you would recognize them. Kind of, it's really a, a spectrum from, from, from progressive to conservative in terms of various like political values or kind of issues. Uh, but there's about 70 or 80 or even 90, depending on how you read it, percent in the middle that is, is really what they would call the exhausted majority. And I just want to name a few things that, that describe this group based off of this extensive research. They say, this group is fed up with the polarization plaguing American government and society. They've, they've forgotten public discourse and overlooked because their voices are seldom heard because extreme views make money, right? Right? The polarization, the extremes are the ones who generate clicks and, and, and everything else. So uh, the, the middle doesn't really make a bunch of money, so it's not often heard. They're flexible in their views, willing to have a conversation rather than sticking to a, to a certain political ideology. And they believe we can find common ground. So this, this is a really pliable, uh, like open and exhausted 70 or 80 or even 90% of our culture. And the, re the whole reason I bring this up is because... I really feel that for the church, this is like, there's just like, the whole thing is this prime opportunity and this right moment for the Spirit of God to actually break in to this, this moment in time and actually break open in ways that, that we really need to be ready for, right? We, we need to actually pray into and be ready for God's Spirit in grace and truth to meet a hungry majority, an exhausted majority of people who are actually hungry for grace and truth, actually hungry for, for honest conversation, actually hungry for grace. And we need to have the, the language, the culture, the, the words, and actually the, the posture that we're going to look at in Jesus uh, for this. And so, uh, it's just a, it's, a, it's a time for the church. I just feel like there's this this clarity of vision, clarity of, of, of mission and purpose that, that the church gets to step into in this this like we're January at the beginning of the year, stepping into this this moment of, of clarity, actually being able to articulate the simple gospel to an exhausted people. Like that's that's an exciting thing, and and it, and it actually goes goes back to grace and truth. That's why we, we think it's even valuable to spend a whole year talking about this dynamic that we see in Jesus. And so, uh, let's dig in. Let's go to where this phrase comes from. Uh, by the way, there's a whole, like, 162-page research kind of document that, like, really outlines this whole thing. If you're interested in, like, cultural exegesis, like, Where's everything at? And what does this research say? You can look it up. It's fascinating. Alright. So, this is where that 
phrase grace and truth comes from. Let's just dig into it a bit here. This is John 1. John sets Jesus in, 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 in terms that are poetic and, and theological and, and beautiful. In this whole first chapter, this prologue to his gospel, he jumps in. Uh, I will jump into verse 14 here. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we've all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And so if you notice, right, it's bold. Grace and truth is, is mentioned twice in this short paragraph. What is, what is John getting at here? What, what I think is helpful to point out is like when he says in verse 14, when he says, we saw his glory. There's a couple things this may be referring to, right? John was one of the three on the Mount of Transfiguration. Like seeing the, the glory of Jesus in its unbridled form. We saw, I, I saw his glory, but would that be we? Like I think just Jesus in the flesh, not even the transfigured Jesus, but just Jesus in the flesh is the glory of God. What is, what is that stoking in the Jewish imagination, the Jewish kind of biblical mind of his audience and of us? And I think there's, there's a lot to say that it points back to Exodus 33 and 34, Moses on the mountain with God saying, show me your glory. Like this, this is, this is the, the phrase that Moses speaks to the Lord in this ongoing conversation while Moses, they, the, the Israelites had already worshipped the golden calf. He, in frustration, broke the, the, the tablets of stone carrying the Ten Commandments, goes back up the mountain to, to converse with the Lord. And God says, my people are obstinate. Moses, I know, but we need you. We can't go anywhere without you. And they have this early great conversation. Uh, but Moses says to him, I pray you, show me your glory. That's his prayer. And, and as you read through Exodus 34, like, that's what God does for him. He shows him his glory. Yet only his backside. And so John here is saying, like, we've seen his glory. Moses was praying, show me his glory. We see that in Jesus. He's actually making a claim to Jesus' divinity here. By saying we've seen his glory. Glory is the only begotten son of, from the Father. He's also um, kind of, if you follow the story in Exodus 34, he's, he's opening up for the, for the Jewish imagination, right? This, 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 this word that God speaks to Moses when, when Moses says, you know, show me your glory. God says, okay, I will. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to cause my glory to pass before you. Actually, Alan mentioned this last week, right? This is what God says to Moses as he passes him by. This is all like one quote from the Lord. It says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. This is God's revelation of Himself, right? And He's it says, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding love, and true, truth. Like these, these are 
John's taking these words that are in God's self-revelation. He's saying, yeah, that's, that's Jesus. Like we've seen him full of grace and truth. The same revelation that God gave to Moses of who, who is I am, who is Yahweh. John's saying, Jesus. And Jesus is the I am. Jesus is full of grace and truth. What's helpful or what's actually fascinating about this, this, the, the Jewish and biblical idea of truth is that it's not as much this, um, this kind of philosophical, modern idea of like factual information, although it is that. The word true here is also the, one of the words in the Old Testament for faithfulness and for reliability. So you think like, okay, true and faithful. Now, how, how is that connected? Like, how, how is something that's true also something that's faithful? Isn't faithful a, like, a, like a relational characteristic? And the answer is yes, and so is truth. So is truth. It's not this, this idea detached from relationship, but God's saying, I am truth. Which means that if I say something, it's true. And if I say it, then it's reliable. You can know it's a reliable statement. And if it's reliable, that means it's faithful. That means I'm faithful to hold to it, that, I, that I've committed it. What I've said is true, and I'm actually going to stand by it. I'm faithful to the word that I've spoken, because it's true. And so this idea of truth is, is situated in a relational context between God and His people. He's saying, my covenant love and faithfulness for you is truth. It is truth because it's rooted in who I am, and uh, and it's not just this abstract idea. So let's keep moving. Actually, we'll go back. I'm going to go back to this passage in John. So it says, "Full of grace and truth." And then we'll skip down to verse 16. It says, "For of His fullness we've all received." And grace upon grace, or other translations would say, grace in place of grace already given. That's what the NIV says. And then he goes on, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. I think what he's saying with that grace upon grace is like, he's like, the law was grace. The law was God's gift of instruction in how to be in relationship with him to his people. It wasn't like law versus grace. The law was grace. And now in Jesus you've received grace upon grace already given. There was grace in the first place. And now there's a, a more full manifestation and expression of, of that grace towards you. If, if Moses was known as the one who brought the law, Jesus is to be known as the grace and truth bringer. Like he, that's what he does. It brings grace and truth. He's both the message and the messenger of this, of this phrase, of grace and truth. And so, I want to think about this a little bit further, right? This whole year, just to give you an overview, we're going to be talking about, kind of, if we're going to break it in half, the first six months of the year, we're going to explore this idea of, of, of grace, Grace as a gift that God gives. Grace as an attribute of God. Grace as seen, expressed at various points throughout Scripture. And so we'll take, like I mentioned before, grace upon grace. We'll take a whole series and talk through what is grace in the Old Testament. How, what, are, what are some ways that we see God being gracious to His people in the Old Testament? We'll see the same thing for the New Testament. Then we'll even think, we'll talk through gifts. of We've all been given gifts from God. Those are gifts of God, an expression of God's grace, a 
gifts to each of us, gifts to those who are called to equip the church for the work of ministry. Those are, those are aspects of His grace. But the question I want to land with tonight is like, if Jesus is full of grace and truth, truth being that we're all dead in our sin, grace being that, he, that I'm going to love you into resurrection, I'm going to forgive you of your sin, I'm going to redeem you into relationship with me. So he's full of grace and truth. What does it look like for the people of God to carry that same paradigm, that same dynamic in, in our community and in our posture towards our, the world, right? So there's this, um, I'm going to skip ahead. Okay, this is this is what we can look at. Okay, so there's this Venn diagram where there's grace, Jesus, and truth. When we want grace but not truth, uh, we, Jesus isn't in the mix. And then, and then when we want truth without grace, uh, we actually get neither. But when we have grace and truth, we have Jesus, and we have them both in full form. Not very complicated. But they're helpful. Alright, now here's what we want to uh, look at. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is all from an Anglican priest, actually. I stumbled upon him. He has some really great thoughts along these lines. Uh, I forget his name. Ben Stenke. That's it, Matt. But just to, just to I didn't draw these, although I could. Not too, not too hard. <laughs> but here's this thing we'll talk through. Because I want us, the hope is that we would know how to hold grace and truth and live in a culture, cultivate in our own relationships a full grace, full truth culture. Okay, so there is, we'll go to the bottom left, apathy. Right? This is a sad state of affairs. This is somebody who has no grace and no truth. This is the relativist who is self-condemning. They're holding themselves to a standard they don't believe in because there's no grace and there's no truth and they have no meaning and purpose in life. Unfortunately, many people are here, but there's not much to be said for this state of affairs because uh, it's apathetic. All right, that was a bad joke. They just don't care. This says the thing. So the second one, we'll call it the, the hangout. I was like, that was low. The second one we'll look at is hangout. What is a hangout culture? That's not Jesus. Hangout culture is high grace, low truth. Or all grace, no truth. It says, uh, don't make me uncomfortable. Keep, keep things, you know, the st status quo is, is appreciated. Anything confronting is off limits. Anything uh, uncomfortable is off limits. Anything where I have to take an account for my actions is off limits. But as long as we can hang out, we're good. Uh, we just don't want to talk about anything that's real. Anything that's really going on in my life. Anything that I'm really struggling with. Anything that I'm really thinking. Because that would mean that I have to be truthful about things. And, uh, and we don't want to go there. So, let's see. Anything else that I'm missing... In this one. So yeah, there's proximity, there's closeness, right? There's 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 the facade of relationship, but intimacy can't no, it's not there because intimacy involves truth. It involves truth telling, 
and it involves truth listening. You actually have to be able to hear the truth if you want to have intimacy. And so hang out, hang out, culture, and whatever level of relationship, Jesus can't fully be there because you don't allow the truth to come into the situation, both to, both to hear truth and to, to tell it. So uh, we have hang out, culture, then we have call out. Call out culture. This is this is like religion uh, par excellence. This is like high standard, no grace. If you're sinning, I'm gonna call you out, and if you ask for forgiveness, I'm gonna think about it. Like this is like this is this is this is uh, this is call out. So call is truth. Like I'm gonna call it out. But then out is like, I have no tolerance. Like, I, I, I cannot deal with, for myself and for you. Like, across the board, grace is cut off. And so I'm left with this, with this, with this idea that this is going to get me to, be, to live righteously and it's going to build obedience and righteousness in other people. It doesn't either. You don't conform to your own desires because you've cut off the, the faucet of grace. And no one else does either because you've just used truth to manipulate and intimidate and control people. That's what the call-out culture is like. Now, I'm putting it in extreme terms because often we can think like, I, I, want, I want to have the call-out culture with just a little bit of grace. <laughs> just a little bit of grace. But, if, but if, I, if I give too much grace, how is somebody going to know that they're wrong? Right? How are they going to know that, they, that, they're, that they're wrong if I, don't, if I give them too much grace? So I have to like, be strategic about this and, and kind of set the standard and then eventually admit that they're, okay, there's a little bit of grace. Come in. Because the reason that, that that's not possible is because it's Jesus who's grace and truth. And he sets the standard. You don't have to come up with this with this percentage, he's fully grace and truth, and he's the one who controls the dynamics of the Christian community. And so, let's jump up. Upper right, call in. The call in culture. This is where Jesus rules. So this is a commitment to radical grace and uncompromising truth-telling and truth-listening. This is, this, is, this is both. The call, again, is the call. We're willing to call things out in the spirit of grace to welcome people in to a, a grace-saturated relationship where there's forgiveness and mercy and love and compassion, slow to end or bounding in love. Like that's what the end is. There's, a, there's an ability to, to say, yeah, that, that needs to be addressed. Or, hey, could you please bring this up with me because I realize that I have my own issues. But I also know that the motivation behind this is, is to bring you in, to actually grow deeper together in relationship with you. Right, not to not to not so that you know your issues and then you can go kind of beat yourself up about it. But that I can so you can actually see what somebody else is, is seeing and be loved by them at the same time. So um, let's see. So this requires sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
and being a disciple, being a learner, like being an apprentice of the way that he went about things. And I'm, I'm tempted to go into the way that he did it, but we're going to save that for another series. Because it's exciting, because we see this, this brilliant manifestation of God in the flesh, full of grace and full of truth, beautifully capturing each of these ideas, not just as concepts, but as concrete personality. He takes precept and he puts it into personality in the way that he loves, in the way that he confronts, in the way that he talks to people. And it's incredibly compelling. And it's, uh, it's what I just am convinced our culture, this neighborhood, our, our relationships are desperately hungry for. Is this, is this embrace of grace and truth? Is this, this uncompromising ability to say, yeah, this is true and yeah, that's not. But also an ability to relentlessly and recklessly love people and, and extend grace into a situation that could very easily allow you to, to condemn or to, to distance yourself from. So, so here's where we're going in 2019, right? We want to we want to explore all the intricacies of grace together as a community. And I'm excited for Pastor Anthony to lead into this because I just, I know that the way he articulates this idea is going to be compelling. I just believe it's going to draw this community together even more than it already is. And I'm excited about the second half of the year where we get to explore what does it mean when Jesus is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean? And how do we reconcile this this idea of truth in this culture that's so relativistic and so pluralistic and so kind of unwilling to, to call truth out and yet say that facts matter. Like, this is, a, it's, we're, we're in a very peculiar cultural moment that's all sorts of contradictory. And so I'm excited to explore this together and even for us to be able to articulate the truths of the gospel. Like, like to where we end, we have a conversation with somebody, and, 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 and it opens, and it turns in a direction where it's like, can I articulate the truth of what I believe in a way that's simple and clear and compelling? Like, there's, there's so much that we get to explore together as a church, and I'm excited about it. We get to walk the line of grace and truth without compromising either. That's an, that's an exciting year. There's a lot in store for us, but I hope just to, to inspire you, I hope what, I, what I'm excited about is, uh, is that Jesus shows us the way. Like, grace and truth were realized yeah. in Jesus. That means, that word, this is the last thing, that word realized is also the word, it's one of John's favorite words, it's the word begotten. It's the word came into being. So not that they weren't a reality before, throughout the Old Testament, but through Jesus they took on flesh. They were incarnated into, a, into a, 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 an observable, relatable man who's fully God, fully man, just like Jesus' divinity and humanity can't be separated, neither can grace and truth. So I'll just say a quick prayer. Uh, yeah, I'll just pray and then I'll, I'll invite uh, Shamrock up to, to finish it off. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, 
that in this culture where majority of people are exhausted, that the refreshing, illuminating love, grace, and truth of Jesus and the Spirit of God needs to just blow into a valley of dry bones. I just pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith and our desire to walk into this and to see Jesus and to just follow him. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Shamrock.